Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have been speaking about Advent for a little while, and I know probably uniquely speaking more about the second Advent of Jesus Christ, His second coming into this world However, today we, and by we, I mean Vinnie Henke from Valley Life Community Church. Good morning, Russ. And Ryan Hempel from Treasure Valley RPCNA. Good morning. And Ryan Van, Ryan, Jonathan <laughs> Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church. Good to be here. And today we are going to transition into talking about Jesus's first advent, his first coming into this world. And once again, we are utilizing. The writings of J.C. Ryle, a minister from the late 1800s, Anglican minister, who has some wonderful work that he has done with regard to the Gospels, and many a minister have benefited from those expository thoughts, myself included. And so, hopefully, as we share Ryle with you, you will also benefit from his, his writing and teaching. Mm-hmm. And Vinny's going to start us off by taking us into the Gospel of Luke. From Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 through 33 from the ESV. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. J.C. Ryle comments on these verses by writing, we should notice in the first place the lowly and unassuming manner in which the Savior of all humanity came among us. The angel who announced his advent was sent to an obscure town of Galilee named Nazareth. The woman who was honored to be our Lord's mother was evidently in a humble position in life, both in her station and her dwelling place. There was a complete absence of what the world calls greatness. We need not hesitate to conclude that there was a wise providence in all this arrangement. The Almighty Council, which orders all things in heaven and earth, could just as easily have appointed Jerusalem to be the place of Mary's residence as Nazareth, or could as easily have chosen the daughter of some rich scribe to be our Lord's mother as a poor woman. But it seemed good that it should not be so. The first advent of Messiah was to be an advent of humiliation. That humiliation was to begin even from the time of his conception and birth. 
Let us beware of being ashamed of poverty if God lays it upon us. The condition of life which Jesus voluntarily chose ought always to be regarded with holy reverence. The common tendency of the day to bow down before rich men and make an idol of money ought to be carefully resisted and discouraged. The example of our Lord is a sufficient answer to a thousand groveling ideas about wealth which many assume to be right. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8.9 Let us admire the amazing condescension of the Son of God. The heir of all things not only took our nature upon himself, but took it in the most humbling form possible. It would have been con- it would have been condescension to come on earth as a king and reign. It was a miracle of mercy beyond our comprehension to come on earth as a poor man, to be despised, suffer, and die. Let his love constrain us to live not for ourselves, but for him. Let his example daily bring home to our conscience the words of Scripture, Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Romans twelve sixteen. J.C. Ryle continues, Notice the glorious account of our Lord Jesus Christ with which the angel gives to Mary. Every part of the account is full of deep meaning and deserves close attention. Jesus will be great, says Gabriel. Of his greatness, we know something already. He has brought in a great salvation. He has shown himself a prophet greater than Moses. He is a great high priest, and he will be greater still when he shall be owned as a king. Jesus will be called the son of the highest, says Gabriel. He was so before he came into the world. Equal to the Father in all things, he was from all eternity the Son of God. But he was to be known and acknowledged as such by the church. The Messiah was to be recognized and worshipped as nothing less than truly God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, says Gabriel, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Finally, Gabriel says, of his kingdom there will be no end. Before his glorious kingdom, the empires of this world will one day go down and pass away, like Nineveh, Babylon, Egypt, Tyre, and Carthage. They will all come to nothing one day, and the saints of the Most High will take the kingdom. Before Jesus, every knee will one day bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. His kingdom alone will prove an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion will not pass away. Daniel seven, fourteen, and 27. The true Christian should often dwell on his glorious promise and take comfort in its contents. They have no cause to be ashamed of their master. Poor and despised as they may often be for the gospel's sake, they may feel assured that they are on the conquering side. The kingdoms of this world will yet become the kingdoms of Christ. In just a little time, he will come and not delay. Hebrews 10.37 For that blessed day, let us patiently wait, watch, and pray. Now is the time for carrying the cross and for fellowship with Christ's suffering. The day draws near when Christ will take his great power and reign and when all who have served him faithfully will exchange a cross for a crown. In our readings for the day in this passage, you have a message coming to Mary. And the message really gives us really two pictures, one of poverty and the other one of power. Mm. And so... It really represents, in so many ways, his first advent and his second advent. And his first advent is one of, as Raya would say, one of poverty. What is all involved with that? What does it mean that Jesus' first 
Advent was one of humiliation. Well, it begins with his descent from the throne of heaven, right? So it just immediately he's giving up infinite wealth, power, all the things that go with his deity as he clothes himself in humanity in that first one, leaving the realm of heaven to walk among us as, as human being. That, that begins the humiliation right from the very start. I like how Ryle put it, even if Jesus had come to a royal house on earth to be king was king, that still would have been a condescension. But it's so much more uh, beyond what we can comprehend that he came as a poor, into a poor family that had nothing um, of earthly value that we can tell. Was in a town that one of his disciples, when he was called, when Philip was called, and his response when he found out Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, "What good can come out of Nazareth?" You know, it was it was that it was that neighborhood. How do we know that Jesus was born into a, a poor family? We do know that, but how do we know that? We know it because Scripture tells us that. You know, we know that we know the the. You know, as he pointed out, you know, this is a this is a town of Nazareth. Uh, the, these were, you know, Joseph and Mary, um, just common people. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually says, Mary was not chosen because of any human merit, not even for being as she undoubtedly was, deeply devout, nor even for her, her humility or any other virtue, but entirely and uniquely because it's God's gracious will to love, to choose, to make great what is lowly, unremarkable, considered to be of little value. Mary, the tough, devout, ordinary working man's wife, living in her Old Testament faith, hoping in her Redeemer, becomes the mother of God. And he, and he points out, it wasn't just simply because of that, but it was, you know, he wanted to make what was lowly. He chose the weak things of the world to confound the wise, we're told in Scripture. There's, he t- chose the foolish things, the things that were not. We, when we think about Scripture, he, and, and that's a, a wonderful promise to us, because who of us were wise? Who of, mm-hmm. who of, who of us really count? And uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which he's reminding us that he came in the world, he took on that form <laughs> of a servant. Philippians actually tells us that um, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. That's the humility of Christ. Um, he was God incarnate. He was God incarnate. He came in the flesh. Uh, he came to be viewed as just a mere man. In his birth, shows that he came to associate with the lowly. I mean, it was mm-hmm. uh, he was numbered among the transgressors. He was in a low position, and it's a comfort knowing that our God is not ashamed to associate with those creatures that are so beneath him. And even in our text for today, we're told in essence, that he came to die, Mm -hmm. that you should name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people. It's not explained here, but he'll save his people from his sins, Matthew 1. But there's also the the element of power, and Gabriel says lots of things to Mary, and the last five things are all about Jesus as king. What is this referencing? What is this – how did this play into his first advent? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the very uh, focus on, on David, he is, the royal, he, is, he is in the royal lineage of David. 
And we were told in the Old Testament that um, you know David will have someone sit on his throne forever. Um, you know, throughout the Scripture, Psalm eighty-nine, once for all, I will not lie to my servant David. And he and God goes on to explain that promise to David. That so, this is the promise of the Old Testament. He's coming as a king, and uh, he's coming not just as an earthly king, but as the eternal king. Oftentimes, we uh, tend to just kind of breeze through the genealogies as they're given to us in Scripture, but they do have a purpose there, and the Holy Spirit has put them there for a reason for us to learn and to be encouraged and comforted by them even. And one of those reasons is it, it shows Christ's fulfillment of that promise that he would be the son of David and that prophecy of old that he would be king. But then we also have in for in in First Peter, when Peter is talking about the salvation that the prophets of old long like looked into diligently, they were searching to know when these things would take place, the Christ of his sufferings and subsequent glories. So here, as Gabriel comes and gives this message to Mary, yeah, there's humility there, but there is glory to come. Not to pick a fight with a dead man, but I will disagree <laughs> slightly with J.C. Ryle. He he will write the day draws near when Christ will take his great power and reign. Jesus Christ has already taken his place and and has his power and is reigning. Um, That day is not coming. That day has come with the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of of God the Father, and Jesus Christ reigns in power and glory. So I'm not waiting for that day. What I'm waiting for is for him to put his last enemy under his feet. That's correct. There comes a day when all enemies of God will be put asunder. That day I'm waiting for. But I'm not waiting for the day when Christ will reign, because that day happened with his ascension. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.